0: I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 14. We are just going to uh, look at the first seven verses this morning, and uh, learn about this mission team. They've they've been to Cyprus, uh, and then last week we saw them go up into Antioch in Pisidia, and now they move on to a, another city there on their on their mission trip. Uh, at the end of last week's message, at the end of chapter 13, we learned that this mission team, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, On this first ever mission trip, they were driven from that uh, city, Antioch in Pisidia by a crowd that was incited against them, but, but only after they had uh, led a great multitude to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior through their preaching. And we learned that they headed to a city called Iconium. That's what the end of chapter 13 said. Uh, they were going there to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to call people there to trust in Christ as their Savior. That's what we find them doing here in Iconium and um, I don't know if any of you... Uh, I was thinking about this this past week because it was Groundhog Day. Krista said it's a dumb holiday. Uh, I don't disagree with her. She said, I don't know what a rodent can tell us about the weather. But at the same time, I don't know what most weathermen or weather ladies can tell us about the weather either. Um, but I don't know how many of you have seen that that late 80s, early 90s movie, Groundhog Day. Um, I, whether or not I ever watched the whole thing, uh, I do remember the premise that was that there is this fella who wakes up every morning and he experiences the same exact thing over and over again. And here in Acts 14, 1 through 7, that, that kind of situation happens to Paul and Barnabas. We're going to learn that their mission here in Iconium, it is quite parallel to what they went through in Antioch last week in chapter 13. But this time, this time there's definitely an increased threat But there's also a continuing on, a persevering emission by them both regardless. Let's read verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 14. God's word says, "...and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and they made their minds evil-affected against the brethren." Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews, in part held with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe the cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preach the gospel. Before we study this passage together, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to your word this morning, and um, I pray that corporately um, we're coming with hearts wanting to know the truth in your word and wanting to be transformed by that truth. So we ask your Holy Spirit, we, we invite him, who's present here in the lives of every believer, who's present here, even among those who don't know Christ as Savior yet, uh, we invite him to reveal your truth to us, to illuminate your word to us. Um, So thankful for the gospel that we sang about earlier and that it does compel a decision. You've got to do something with it. And Lord, I'm very thankful that, um, I'm even thankful that it creates division. I'm so thankful that I've been divided from who I was (laughs) and where I was headed. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, just like Paul and Barnabas here, to with great faith serve you, no matter what might come our way as we live for Christ in this world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if there's one thing that we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's that uh, that the gospel compels a decision. Uh, whenever it's presented, everyone responds. They do. You have to respond. Now, you can either respond by receiving um, Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, by trusting in who he is and what he's done for you, or um, you can respond by rejecting God's free gift of grace and the eternal life that is ours in Christ. But, but one of those two things, it always happens whenever the gospel goes out. There's no middle ground. There's no, no decision to, to not decide is to reject Jesus Christ as Savior. And the gospel compels a decision through its communication. At the beginning of verse 1, we see that. I hope you've noticed something here as we've studied the book of Acts so far in 13 chapters, that when it comes to fulfilling the great commission that Jesus has given us, it is accomplished by you and I who have trusted in Christ as Savior. It's accomplished by us communicating it to others. Um, Now, you and I can do a lot of other things in preparation to communicate the gospel. Uh, We can be involved in acts of love and mercy and service with the intention of preparing a person's heart to hear the gospel and receive Christ as Savior. But none of those things, none of those acts of love or mercy uh, or service, none of those are in and of themselves the gospel or the Great Commission. They're definitely good works. They are definitely living like Jesus, uh, following after him, acts of Christ-like love, but the Great Commission, it's always presented in the word of God as you and I communicating God's word, and specifically the salvation that's found and offered in Jesus Christ alone. We have to communicate it. That means speaking the gospel, sharing the good news that God has sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin and my sin, and that God raised Jesus From that grave in order to save us. We have to share that. Um, By confessing our sin to God in prayer and by trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we can be saved. Uh, That is what this mission team has always done so far and what they're doing here and what they're going to keep on doing. Uh, In verse 1, we find them in a new city, Iconium, but they go to a very familiar place there, uh, the local synagogue. That was always Paul's method for initial great commission activity, wherever God sent him. But I want you to look at the phrase in the middle of verse 1. It says, and so spake. They they spake. That's because the great commission, um, communication, it, it has to have that key component in disciple making. It has to have that initial catalyst for someone ever hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. It has to be actually communicated verbally. I want you to consider the Hallmark Great Commission passage, Matthew 28, 18, and 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them. He spake to his disciples. And he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So go ye therefore and do what? We're to teach. We're to make disciples. Go ye therefore and teach, speak, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. Or consider the Great Commission passage that heads up the book of Acts it's a while since we were there. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. It's familiar to us because it's what we base our mission uh, here at Dublin First Baptist on. Jesus said there, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses, right? Witnesses of Jesus, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and up to the uttermost part of the earth. So what does being a witness entail? I want you to think about it in a legal or judicial sense. Um, If you're called into a courtroom, you get uh, some in there to be a witness. What are you there to do? You're there to testify, right? You're there to talk, to communicate. And that's what God empowered Peter and the other apostles to do uh, back in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. How were those 3,000 saved that day? Was it through feeding the hungry? Was it through some other ministry or service of showing Christ-like love? No, there's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, In fact, there's everything right. We're doing those things because Jesus commanded us to, and he commanded us to show and share his love that way. But those things must always, they have to be always accompanied with a verbal teaching, witnessing, communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ if they're great commission, activities. That's how those thousands came to know Jesus as Savior that day in Acts 2. That's how all of the salvations that we have seen so far in the book of Acts have occurred. Because the only way, in the multiple accounts of being, people being saved, here, here in the New Testament and Scripture, um, and, and in the evidence, honestly, in the evidence of every one of our lives who's here, if you were saved, how did that happen? Somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, didn't they? Might be mom or dad, might be a Sunday school teacher, might just be somebody who came to your door, might have been a coworker, worker a family member, um, But the only way people are saved is by hearing the gospel, actually communicating it, and then you and I responding in personal faith. There's no exclusions to that. There's no exceptions to that. And that leads us to the gospel's comprehensiveness. We also see that at the end of verse 1. It tells us about the response to the gospel being communicated here by Paul and Barnabas. It says, they so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed so there's the comprehensiveness of the gospel it calls for a decision by everyone who hears it because the gospel of jesus christ is for everyone amen it's not just for um people of one ethnicity one nationality or one socioeconomic class the blood of jesus christ it covers the sins of all who will turn to christ in faith Uh, that gospel is comprehensive I'm so glad it is. It's got the power, uh, we're told in Ephesians 2, it's got the power to unite into one body, the church of Jesus Christ, people from two distinct groups that God created, Jew and Gentile. That's a powerful gospel. And if that's the case, then there's clearly no sin outside its power of redemption. There's clearly no uh, person outside of God's extended grace. There's no life that's too far gone for Jesus to transform. Isn't that true? Yeah, I am thank God for that. We live in a world that, that is so divided by sin and so full of people who are longing for unity that they'll try just about anything and any kind of philosophy, any kind of idea to see that change except the one comprehensive thing that can actually enable that change. The gospel, faith in who God is for us in Jesus. Now, sometimes they reject it out of rebellion because of what turning to Christ and faith means that their, their life will be transformed. Uh, sometimes they do it out of ignorance because they've never heard or they, they don't completely understand. And that is where our great commission from Jesus Christ comes in. For, for you and I who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, we need to communicate this comprehensive gospel and call those who hear it, to decision. Dublin First Baptist, I promise you that the gospel will always be communicated from this pulpit. A call to respond will go out every single time. Uh, But mom and dad, are you verbally communicating the gospel? Uh, Are you presenting an invitation when you do? To your kids at home, grandma and grandpa, what about you? What, what about Sunday school teachers here, Awana leaders, those involved in other ministries? I know, <laughs> because I'm often visiting your classes, and, and I know the curriculum you're teaching. I know you're communicating the gospel, but are you presenting an invitation for those who hear it to respond? We need to, because the gospel compels a decision. Well, next, in verses 2 and 5, 2 to 5, we see that the gospel causes division, and here's where things continue Uh, to happen just like they did last week in chapter 13 back in Antioch. Um, This gospel that's communicated, this gospel that's received, it, it causes division, and we ought not be surprised at that because Jesus promised as much. Luke read that earlier for us in Matthew 10, 32 to 39. Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter, against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household, Jesus said. Now, I know what you're thinking. We just finished up Christmas a month and a half ago. You know. I thought Jesus' birth was announced by an angel choir singing, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I thought God describes Jesus in Isaiah as the prince of peace. So then, why does Jesus say what he says here in Matthew 10 about the gospel causing division. Why does Jesus say that? Well, the peace that Jesus brings to us um, is a peace to those who trust Him because their relationship with God has been restored. Their sin problem has been completely taken care of. And that peace with God, that's the most important peace we can have. And, and it results, it will result in a peace with others who have experienced the same thing. Um, we need to understand that the peace that Jesus brings, it sounds ironic, or maybe even like an oxymoron, it is a peace through division. It's a unity through division. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith, when you are saved, you are brought into, you are united to a new kingdom. You're immediately divided from the kingdom of this world of which you were a previous participant. Because of the Prince of Peace, you do have a new peace and an eternal peace and an eternal unity But that's only accomplished through that necessary and life-giving division that happened when you were born again. The gospel does cause division. And um, that division is virulent. That's described in verses 2 through 4. Not everyone who heard the gospel, not everyone who it was communicated to believed. Verse 2 says that there were unbelieving Jews who stirred up the Gentiles, and had made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. God uses an interesting choice of words here in verse 2. I like how the NIV puts it it this way, and it lines up with the original Greek. They poisoned their minds against these Christians. They poisoned them. Poison's not a good thing. Uh, It's dangerous. It's deadly. And the division that the gospel causes um, is virulent. Uh, medically, when a disease or, or poison is termed virulent, it carries the idea that its effects are extremely severe, that they're harmful, it means to be bitterly hostile. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil-affected against the brethren. Um, we do not see the immediate effects of this virulent division. In verse 3, especially, it's, it's kind of unusual, uh, because whether your Bible begins with... Uh, that verse with the word so or, or therefore, um, what is described is uh, even though this division's occurring, Paul and Barnabas continue <laughs> to spend considerable time, long time, it says in the King James, there in Iconium. And they continue to speak boldly in the Lord, giving testimony to the word of God's grace. And so that means despite this virulent division that's caused by the gospel, they continue to boldly communicate it. Now, that doesn't go on forever. Um, we're not told exactly how long they had this reprieve, but verse 4 tells us that the whole city of Iconium was affected. The multitude of the city was divided. Now, what caused that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what caused it. Just as Jesus promised, and just as God intends, as he creates the peace that we need more than anything, the only true, lasting unity, um, That's ours eternally through the division that's caused by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anglican uh, pastor and theologian J.C. Ryle said that unity is important, but unity outside of the gospel is only the unity of hell. I I don't want to be unified to that. And what eventually happens with this virulent poison? Well, eventually it takes its toll and it does here. uh, Evil thoughts become evil actions and the division caused by the gospel here in Iconium, it ends in violence In verse 5, this mission team, they've been persecuted before. Um, They had to deal back at their first stop in Cyprus with an unresponsive audience. People were just like, eh, that's nice. All right, see you later. Unruly audience. Uh, They had just been expelled at the end of chapter 13 from their previous stop. But here here things uh, take a turn for the worse. Uh, Verse 5 says, and there was an assault. An assault was made, both of the Jews and also of the Gentiles. Uh, and the assault was to use them despitefully, to stone them. Let's pause there, because this is new for, for Paul and Barnabas. Before Paul was a persecutor, now he's facing persecution. Definitely a heightened threat of it. An assault, to use them despitefully, literally to abuse them. I don't know all that entails, but it's not good. And, and then ultimately to stone them, <laughs> to kill them. Now, it hadn't actually happened to them yet. It was made, meaning it was in the works, it was planned. Uh, This multitude against them that was divided by the gospel, had their minds poisoned against these preachers of the gospel. They were on their way to assault Paul and Barnabas. And, you know, the division created by the gospel, it ends in violence sometimes. Virulence, unaddressed, will end in violence. Did it for the one that we follow? Did it for Jesus Christ? Did it for every one of Christ's disciples uh, eventually. I mean, all all martyred, minus John, who they tried to kill him. (laughs) And then they imprisoned him on an aisle for the rest of his life. Yeah. So then why should we, (laughs) as his disciples now, why should we think that we ought never to face virulence or violence from the division that's caused by the gospel? Again, it's promised by Jesus. He doesn't ever hide it from us. Well, when Christ offers his invitation um, to receive him as Savior and follow him, meditate on what we read earlier this morning in Matthew 10. Jesus said in verse 38, And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy. Not worthy of me. He who finds his life, who thinks that he's got life in this world and things are going well. That person's going to lose it. And he who loses his life, he who surrenders all and says, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm yours. That's who's going to find life. We must never forget that the call of the gospel and the promise of new life and eternal life in Jesus Christ, it, it is a call to die. That's what you respond to. To die to yourself, to die to this world, its values, its pleasures, its treasures. But here's, here's the beautiful thing. Whosoever responds to this call, whosoever takes up their cross and follows Jesus Christ, whosoever believes and receives Christ as Savior, you will never die. No, you'll find life. You'll find eternal life. And finally, in verses 6 and 7, we're, we're empowered on mission, even when we might face virulence or violence um, because the gospel creates determination. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Paul and Barnabas for a minute this morning. I mean, what do you think they were thinking right now? This mission trip's definitely had highs and lows, just had a multitude of people saved, but now there's a a legitimate threat that they're going to suffer physically, and then they may die. And we find out that a life that's truly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a determined life. And that's because the gospel's promises. You know, even at the threat of death, these two Jesus followers, they were determined to remain faithful and to stay on mission because they believed the promise of Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, 38. That there is a cross to pick up in following Jesus. That there's never a crown without a cross. That losing life here, it means truly finding life in Jesus Christ and receiving eternal life, if you've trusted in Christ as Savior. I am sure that the promise of Jesus in John 16, 33 echoed in their ears and encouraged their hearts as they had to make that decision. When Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me, in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be a good cheer, because I have what? I've overcome it. <laughs> I've overcome the world. And what does God tell us in 1 John 5, 4? We sang it earlier at the beginning of the service. For what is, whatever is born of God, it overcomes the world. And this, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, even our faith in Christ. And we're not told how, but according to verse 6, this mission team became aware of the evil intentions of this mob that was coming for them. And it says that they fled to the cities of Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. Um, They saw this as God's sovereign guidance telling them, it's time to move on in this mission trip. Uh, We are told in Scripture by Jesus to expect persecution as his followers i'm very glad that um, we're never told that we should seek it out on purpose and that's what these gentlemen do here so so relying on god's promises and with a determination that's created by the gospel of jesus christ they continued on and they did that in in power they were courageously unaffected by these threats even the threat of of violence and death we're going to see them continue to act that way as we uh, go through chapter 14 but what do we find Paul and Barnabas doing there in Lystra and Derbe, according to verse 7? And there they preached the gospel. That's the power of a Jesus-transformed life, church. I mean, most people, I, I, I hope I wouldn't, but if I was in that situation, most people would have quit even over much less opposition. And I know that because I know my own testimony. How there's times in my life, I know there's other Christians just like me, There's times in my life I've been too frightened to ever even communicate the gospel that compels the decision to people around me, never having to face (laughs) this kind of threat that these men did. And so what was their power source to have this kind of courage in the face of such opposition? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing that, Uh, even if from a human perspective, the worst possible thing could happen. Um, It wouldn't. And it couldn't happen outside of God's sovereign and goodwill. Amen? It wouldn't. And even if it did, even if they were stoned, even if they were killed, what do they have because of Christ's resurrection? We have eternal life. We have life, and we have life more abundantly as Jesus promises in John 10. 10. That is the power uh, that they had, Christian, and the beautiful thing is if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that same power lives in you. It lives in you. Will you let the Holy Spirit infuse you with this power through believing God's word this morning? Romans 8, 10 to 11, God tells us there, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, well then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Can we start living courageously the life we live following Jesus based on that, on that promise and the power behind it, just like these men did? Can we actually begin to believe God's promises and then experience his power because we do? You know, if you cannot look back on a point in time in your life when you heard the gospel communicated to you and you confess your sins to God in prayer when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Would you do that right now? I mean, right now as I'm talking, because the gospel compels a decision. So I want to know what yours is. You can receive Christ as Savior and receive new life in Christ and eternal life with him in heaven forever. But if it's any other decision, if it's any other response, it's to reject him. It's to reject the salvation that God is offering you right now in Jesus. Christian, you who have done that, and you who are eternally his um, because you have been born again. God is looking for some Paul and Barnabas-like soldiers of the cross. He's looking for some men and women, young people and old people who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior and who will do what Jesus said, who will take up their cross and follow him, who, who will joyfully lose their life here in this world, only to find life and to find it more abundantly in Jesus. He's looking for soldiers of the cross who will say, you know what, Jesus, I'm done with sin. I'm done with selfish pursuits. who will say this morning, the Holy Spirit is drawing me through his word to live this fearless, courageous life, just like Paul and Barnabas did. I want to have their boldness in communicating the gospel when you give me opportunities. Will you do that this morning, Christian? Because if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've truly experienced the wonderful grace of Jesus we sing about, there's not a person here who shouldn't commit to that. That based on God's promises and based on the power that he supplies, we should all say, you know what? Um, The gospel of Jesus Christ does divide. I'm so glad it does. And I'm done straddling the fence. Um, Lord, I'm going to be determined by the gospel to leave everything here and live for Jesus because I'm yours. ask Corinne to come to the piano, and we'll have a time to respond to God's word. And as we sing a song of invitation, a song that's asking us to, inviting us to take up our cross and follow Jesus, I'll just ask you, what's the Holy Spirit moving you to do in response this morning? Morning. Let's all stand. Don't, don't fight him. Mm -hmm. Yield to him. However, the Holy Spirit's moving you.